I want to share a word with you that actually that has basically the essence, the flow of this message is basically all about uh, helping you to grow in the Lord and fulfill all that God has called you to do in your life. But it takes some interesting turns, and you'll see that in this passage. I want you to look at this. It should be on the screen also in Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 through 25. I'll tell you before I read that my title of my message is simply Angels on Assignment. Angels on Assignment. Thank you for your tremendous response. That's wonderful. God said to Israel, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. It's interesting, huh? It's talking about an angel here. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in this angel. I love that. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. So you see the consequences are great. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the termites, and, and the cellulites. Y'all wish we had a victory over that one, right? The cellulites. That's a devil for sure. And I will cut them off. I love that. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly destroy, or utterly overthrow them, and completely break down their sacred pillars. I love this. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Thank you. Father, we just pray, and we just give you this message, Lord, and as you've given it to me, Lord, and I ask you, God, to speak through my mouth, think through my mind. Lord, I'm asking you for a divine encounter today through your word. Lord, we don't want to just coast through this today. Father God, I want there to be a divine awakening in this house, Lord God, where people are, are awakened to a new level of living God, where they, things begin to, uh, God, come alive inside of them. Uh, Lord, ideas, thoughts, God, that can transform their lives. Father, I pray for a breakout today into another level of living. And Father, we just thank you. And I give you, God, every bit of the glory, God. It's all yours. I honor you and worship you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. All right. This is a great passage. You can be seated. This is a great passage of Scripture, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what? This thing is chock full. Not only this, but I'll give you a few more verses later on in this chapter in just a little bit. But it struck me, although it's talking about, this says here, I'll keep you in the way. I'll bring you into the place that I have prepared. You're going to defeat the enemy, you know, you know, and I'm going to bless you and keep sickness. I mean, all the things that we want in life. And it's interesting that he begins this whole passage 
with the headliner being this. He said, behold, I will send an angel before you. And it's interesting that he says this angel is actually going to do all these things, going to facilitate all these things that I just mentioned. And it really just struck me really hard when I was reading this one day, pondering it, how important angels are to our life every day that we live. And yet how little we think about them. Here I'm speaking, and my whole message today is not about angels. But yet, I want to address this, and I, the thought comes to me that angels are all through the Bible. I mean, Genesis, the revelation. And we find them fighting battles and winning the victory for God's people. We find them uh, stopping strategies of the enemy. We find them protecting God's people, leading God's people, you know, all kinds of things all through the Bible. And yet, we as Christians today, when we go about our, our daily lives, we really think very little about angels, at least most Christians do. And I think that's a problem because, you know, if God begins this passage by saying, behold, I send an angel before you, let me tell you, if God says he sends an angel, man, let me tell you, that angel must be important. Right? And so we need to think a little bit about angels in our life. Interesting, huh? What are these angels? What do angels look like? What is their nature? You know, who are they? How do they act? We're not going to cover all of those things today, but I will tell you this that angels are certainly not this perverted, distorted picture that's been painted by the devil in the world today. You know, if you ever see, you know, <clears throat> pictures of angels, many times they're these little fat babies <laughs> with wings, you know, and a halo sitting on a cloud playing a stinking harp. You know, and I will tell you something. I firmly believe that this type of picture of angels has been propagated directly by the devil. And, and the reason I believe that is I believe he's done it because to, to, to get us to not trust in the power and the authority and the strength of the angels that God has dispatched on our behalf. If the devil can make us think that they're like little fat babies, you know, or some little thing with wings that we carry along in our pocket, or as a little guardian angels, then they have no power to, uh, to drive off the enemy in our life. But let me tell you, in the Bible, angels are depicted as very strong, very powerful. One angel literally conquered the enemies in a whole city. Angels, Jesus said he could have called angels and they would have delivered him down from the cross. There was nothing the devil could do to stop it. Hallelujah. I love that. You know something, there is a, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if how many of you know the Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland, well-known preacher. And I heard Kenneth Copeland tell one time how that he was preaching 
afterwards, a man came up to him, and this man, big burly guy, told him this story, how that the night before, in the, in the Copeland's meeting, this guy's wife had come and gotten saved. And when she went back home and told her husband, her husband was furious that she had gotten saved. And he blamed this preacher. So he made up a plan. He says, tomorrow night, I'm going to go, I'm going to take my gun, and in the middle of the service while he's preaching, I'm going to get up and I'm going to kill this preacher. Literally came to kill him. Anyway, so he's telling Copeland this, and Copeland says, well, why didn't you do it? And he said, well, he said, it was in the middle of the service, and he said, I actually got to the place where I was about to reach for my gun to get to stand up and to shoot you. And he says, as I, would, as I put my hand down here, he said, I looked up, and he says, I don't know who those, those uh, guards, security guards were that you hired. He said, but there was one standing on each side of you, and each of them looked like he was about 10 feet tall, and they would stand there with their arms like this. He said, so I put my gun back in my pocket, and I didn't do anything. And Copeland said, praise God, those are my angels. Ah, I like that. You like that? <laughs> angels have an active part in our life. But it's not just angels. I want to broaden this to really include all the supernatural assistance that God gives us. You know, the reason that many times that people, that people don't, move in supernatural power and assistance that God gives them, the supernatural grace of God, is because they don't realize all that's there available for them all the time. I mean, you know, there, I mean, I, each one of these is a message or a series, but, you know, let's just talk about the grace of God. The grace of God is, is God's empowerment in you. It's his Holy Ghost empowerment in you He's graced you to become all he wants you to be and to do all he's called you to do. Grace is not just some kind of uh, mercy, you know, of, of like God not giving us what we deserve. That's more mercy. Grace is literally a tangible spiritual empowerment, a force, if you please, in us, driving, a driving force in us to be all that God's called us to be and do all God's called us to do. How much do we know about that grace? The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. Just the Holy Ghost alone in us. Are you listening to me? The Holy Ghost, the third person of the Trinity, has all the full rights and privileges uh, and attributes of the deity, the Father and the Son, and he lives on the inside of us right now. He's alive in us. He's not just there to lie dormant. He's there to speak. He's there to work. He's there to, he's there to move in us. He's there to act. Are you all with me now? Hallelujah. How much do we know about that Holy Ghost that's on the inside of us? Glory to God. Grace. Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We have the power of the name of Jesus 
on the inside of us. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he's left us with his name. What does that mean? In this passage we read, it said this something very interesting. It says, don't go against this angel. He says, for my name is in him. What in the world does that mean? You know what it means when it says my name is in him? It means this. The name of Jesus represents all of the resources, all of the abilities and the authority of the government of heaven. It represents the throne. The name, speaking the name, is actually invoking invoking all the authority and power of the throne on the scene in your everyday affairs. He says that angel has the name of God in him. He said, just meditate on that. The government of God in him. Now let's talk about these angels. What does it mean when he says my name is in him? Why does he say don't provoke him? He says, but obey him. Why does it say, it says, because, you know, he will not pardon your sins. What is it talking about there? I mean, we know only God can forgive sins. So what is it talking about this thing about beware of your angel? Make sure that you operate in a way that's in line with that angel. You want to know why? When he says, because my name is in him. What he's saying to us is this angel operates strictly and only according to the government of God. This angel cannot do anything that is contrary in violation to what God's will is, what his authority is, and what the government of heaven says. Are you with me now? The angel is not a person of free will. He can't do whatever he wants. He can only act and operate in accordance with what the will and the orders of heaven are. Are you with me? So he says this. He says, whenever you operate in a way that's not consistent with God's will for your life, with the government of heaven in your life, he says, then that angel's hands are tied. He cannot work in your behalf because he cannot operate in opposition of the name of God. Y'all get that? Oh, I like that stuff. That's good. You know, in a day when we talk so much in messages about practical lifestyle things and all that's good, I love messages where we just ponder on things where we just meditate. The message is just talking about it, expounding on things that are spiritual truths, that, that just expounding the depths of God and his will for our lives. Y'all with me now? Because in talking about these things, I'm talking about it right now, it may not give you some practical direction right this moment for, you know, well, how to deal with stress in your life, how to deal with your marriage, how to deal with your finances. But what it does is as you're talking, if you're getting this, if you're opening your heart today, what's happening is, is by the word, faith is being built in your heart. And the word of God that builds faith inside of you causes you to come alive in a way that you can access the authority of God in the time of trouble. Are y'all with me now? What we need is not more talk about man. We need more talk about God. Thank you for your tremendous response. That was just overwhelming. 
I've already preached myself happy today. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Listen to this. So he said, Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared for you. Beware of him. Obey his voice. Do not provoke him. For he will not pardon your sins, for my name is in him. I love that. And I begin to realize this. Listen, there are prerequisites to tapping into all the supernatural forces, whether it be it angels, the Holy Ghost, the grace of God. There are prerequisites to tapping into all that supernatural resource that God gives us to live our daily lives. And so many Christians today, they don't take enough thought to live carefully before God and according to his word, not realizing that as we live carelessly, as we just kind of give way to the flesh. Let me give you an example. Let's just take unforgiveness. You know, so many Christians, well, I love God. I go to church. I worship God. But you know that real person that one time did something against me? I, you know what? God understands. I just can't forgive them. And I think, you idiot. <laughs> you idiot. You don't realize that you're cutting off your nose despite your face. You, you're literally cutting off your resources. When, when you're living contrary to God's perfect will for your life, you're literally creating a dam that blocks the flow of God's supernatural resources. That your life in God cannot be lived out successfully without those supernatural resources. It's so interesting. We get saved by the Spirit. But so often many Christians carry on their lives by the energy of the flesh. They try to live, they get saved and forgiven by God, but they try to live for God by their own works and energy of the flesh. As Paul said in Galatians 3, he says, Having begun in the Spirit, shall you be made perfect by the works of the flesh? Is this how this thing works? You're just going to get saved and have a great moment and count, oh, yes, God, you saved. And then you walk on the rest of your life. You're just kind of, okay, I read my Bible, I pray. And going on in the energy of your flesh, let me tell you something. This is a spiritual world that we live in. And there are two forces that are at odds with one another, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. And Satan is opposing everything that God's trying to do in this world and in your life. And if you don't access daily in a very real and effective way, the supernatural resource, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the move of the grace of God in your life, these angels that God has dispatched for you, then there's no way that you can live effectively the life that God wants you to live. This is why there are two kinds of Christians. One kind of Christian, we look at it and admire and say, wow, look at them. It seems like God intervenes for their life all the time. Wow, they get prayers answered. God brings miracles. Things happen, man. And then you've got all these other Christians that are like, well, we just kind of go to work. And yeah, we love God, but nothing really exciting happens. Anybody out there today? You know, we just go along. No, but God never talks to me. One of the most frustrating things as a pastor down the years is to have so many people come to me and say, well, why doesn't God talk to me? I just want to shake him and say, he is. He's talking to you all the time. 
You're just not listening. You're trying to live what is a spiritual life in the, in the strength of the flesh. Hallelujah. I'm doing some good preaching right now, whether you realize it or not. I'm trying to help you with this. So what are these prerequisites? In, in this passage, let's look at this. Look at that passage again. He says this, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared you. Let's first look at this thing like to keep you in the way. What does that mean, to keep you in the way? I begin to realize this. Listen. God has dispatched angels, yes, to stop the work of the enemy, to bring breakthroughs in our life, to bring, to facilitate miracles in our life where there are complete transformations, where we completely break out of some kind of bad cycle in our life. But also, listen, that's, God, that's the angel bringing you into the place God's prepared. But he does something else. He keeps you in the way. Y'all don't get it yet, do y'all? Let's look at it. Listen, the angel is there to help bring you into the place. But while you're going to the place, he's there to keep you in the way. I love that. In other words, listen to this. What it's saying is this. You will, you will experience great mountaintops in your life, great miracles, great breakthroughs. But really life, much of life is really lived in the valleys or in the plains, in between the mountain peaks, when nothing's happening, when it seems like sometimes even God's nowhere around. Where is God in all this mess? Y'all listen to me. And the Bible says, I've sinned, God said, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way. What he's saying is this. You will win the victory many times. But you know what? You don't always win the victory every day. But whether you outwardly win the victory or not, these angels and all the supernatural resources of heaven are given to you so that you, even though you may not be experiencing victory on the outside, you can walk every day with victory on the inside. And let me tell you something. Walking in victory on the inside is far more important than walking in victory on the outside. Hallelujah. Don't come and tell me, Pastor Rick, I want to give testimony of what God did in my life, how he brought me through. And I look at you and I say, I don't want to hear your testimony because I watched you go through. And while you was going through, before God gave you the victory, you were down on the mouth, had a bad attitude, were complaining and whining and about to give up. That ain't no testimony. A testimony is not whether you were crying and whining and grumbling, lost your faith, was sad, down the dumps, angry, got mad at the church, got mad at people, and then when God brought you through, whoo, hallelujah, I want to give testimony. I always say a testimony as three parts. Test in the middle is I. At the beginning is a test, and at the end is the money. Until you go through the test and come out with the money, don't tell me about your testimony. Are you with me now? 
Because what living a fruitful life in Christ is all about, it's walking this even plane of victory and faith and fortitude and character and integrity and confidence where you, you live joyfully even in the darkest hours where Satan may hinder you, but he cannot defeat you. Hallelujah. Y'all get that. This angel keeps you in the way. Keeps you from getting distracted, shipwrecked. You know something that's so interesting? I love, I love the story of the three Hebrew children. How that when the king was threatened to throw them in the fire, here was their statement of faith. They said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we want you to know that if you throw us in this fire, we want you to know, we believe that our God is going to deliver us. Yeah. Ah, I like that. We believe that. I love that. They said, but also know this, oh, King Nebi, <laughs> know this, that if you throw us in the fire, watch this, and God doesn't deliver us. Yeah. Let it be known to you, we will not bow down to your false gods. I love that. That kind of faith drives the devil crazy. Because he loses all handle off of our life. When he knows that if God gives us the victory, we're going to praise him and worship him and stay faithful and strong in our faith. But if God doesn't seem to come through, then we're still going to praise him. We're still going to stand strong. We're still going to walk on in faith. Isn't that good? Ooh, I like that. Let me tell you, that puts metal in a Christian's life. Where the devil cannot do anything to that person. It's like Job when he says, though God slay me, yet I'll trust him. I always think, you know, you know, I've said so many times, it, you know, it irks me that people, theologians, have tried to debate that whole statement of Job, thinking, well, was he theological correct or not? I mean, did God really slay him or didn't he slay him? Well, he didn't slay him, but he allowed it. God does it. It's not causative, but it's, God allows it. You know, well, no, God doesn't even allow. There's this debate. Was Job right or not? Though God slay me, yet I'll trust him. And I say, you. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> I don't want to use the word idiot twice today, but anyway. You crazy guys. You don't get it. Job was not a professor in a seminary class teaching a course on the sovereignty of God. He was a man who just lost his kids and his livelihood, and he was deathly ill. And in all this pain and suffering and loss, this statement was a cry of his confidence in God. That you know what? It's kind of like this. I don't know where God had anything to do with this or not, but it doesn't matter to me. If the devil did it, if God did it, I don't care. If, if God slay me, yet I will trust him. It was a man crying out of pain. The issue is not whether it was theologically correct. Let me tell you, when you're pain, you say a lot of stupid things, things that you don't understand. 
But let me tell you, this was a cry of Job clinging to God in the midst of all hell breaking loose in his life. Isn't that beautiful? This angel will keep you in the way. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Everybody say, God, keep me in the way. Then it says this. You ready? He says, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. And here's another stipulation. Watch this. He said, to bring you to the place I prepared. And all of a sudden, it just dawned on me when I, one day when I was looking on that. You ready for this? That here's a stipulation. And that is, and notice he didn't say that the angel is to bring you into the place that you prepared. He was to bring you into the place that I prepare. Some of y'all didn't get that. In other words, listen. Operating in obedience to the perfect will of God in our life is the most paramount thing besides having this love relationship with him that we can do in our lives. Let me tell you, these days, Christians, I, mean, I, found, I want to shout this from the helpdops, Christians, you're being so careless with the will of God. You're looking, you're reading your Bible and you say, yes, I believe that. I want to do that. But when it comes to actually following specifically what God wants you to do, where he wants you to go today, what he wants you to say, how he wants you to handle your finances, how he wants you to raise your kids, how he wants you to deal with your marriage, your friends, your neighbors, all, where he wants you to live. All of these things, God has something to say about those things. And many Christians have no regard whatsoever about trying to find out what God's will is or God's plan in those things. And what's interesting is he said this, that this angel's activity in your life, and thereby I'm thus transferring that in a broader sense to the work of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, all of God's assist, Holy Ghost assistance in your life. He said, it's hooked to you finding out daily what is God's perfect will for your life. And then doing exactly that, regardless of what it costs you. Are you listening to me? He says, to bring you into the place that I have prepared for you. He said, if you, if you allow that to happen, he said, then I'll take you into the land of the Hivites, the Hittites, and I will destroy them. I will be an enemy to your enemies. But you've got to follow the perfect will of God. And I began to think about that. You know, many Christians, listen, this angel, let me tell you this. There are lots of angels assigned to us. We know that according to the word. That we have angels, like right now, you, I, we're all told in the Bible that we have angels. There are guardian angels that walk with us, protect us, do things for us. I mean, who knows what all, things we don't know. And the, there's, more, there's not just one, but there's a number of angels. We don't know how many that are assigned to each one of us. But this angel that's talking about in this passage is different. This is not one of those angels. You say, how do you know? Because those angels I just described, those are angels who are with you now. This angel is not with you now. This angel goes before you, ahead of you, to prepare the way. Are you with me now? I say this, those are guardian angels. This one is a mission angel. 
And what it means is this, you don't even get the benefit of this angel, what this angel can do, unless you sign up to follow God's mission or God's will for your life. Listen to this. I beg of you, plead with you, listen to this. So many Christians come to church, and they worship God. They hear a message, and they like it, and they love, they say, I love God. But as they go on carrying out their regular routine in their life, there's no sense that a mission in their life. There's no sense that, what is it that God wants for me to do? You know, with my life, what is, where does God tell me to go? What does he tell me to say? In the church. What does God want me to do in the church? Folks, let me tell you, if you're here in this church, surely God has an assignment for you here to help fulfill what God has put, called this church to do. I mean, you're a body. God works through the church. That's his main means of, of, work, of, of method in the, in the world today. And surely there has to be some thought given. I mean, I go to work. I do that. So I have my job. I have my family. I know I do that. I do these other things. But what does God want me to do in the church to help fulfill the call of God on the church? And besides that, Specifically, what has God wired me to do in my lifetime? Who does he want me to help? Where does he want me to go? And so many Christians make the mistake of assuming that God has nothing to say about that for them. Because they immediately disqualify themselves and say, well, I'm not one of those guys or girls. That's not me. I'm just kind of one of these normal Joes or Sally. You know, I just go to work. I just do my thing. I'm not really one of those. And they live their lives as if God wanted them to do anything, that there would be some kind of lightning flash out of head and hit them on top of the head and somehow knock them off of their horse like God did to Saul of Tarsus. And the thing is, they don't realize that when you became a Christian, that there was a mission spirit put on the inside of you. Y'all listen to me now. That God's called each of us to make a difference in our world, to do something in our, around us. And it's only when we fulfill God's will. Now look, when you look at God's will, when I say that, I know some people get frustrated, frustrated because they're thinking about this overarching lifetime will. What is God's big will for me? Don't even worry about that. Don't even think about that. That's not the issue. That's too overwhelming. All you've got to do is say, God, what do you want me to do today? With my life, with my body, my mind, my relationships, my family, my finances. All those things are to be given into the hands of God. And folks, what I'm trying to tell you is when they're not, when we take ownership of those things ourselves, instead of letting God have ownership of those things, where he makes the decisions, then we immediately block off the flow of God's supernatural provision and assistance in our lives. Y'all listen to me. Hallelujah. You know, and so then what happens? We, we're literally cutting off our own supply because we're living, just kind of like carrying on in the, in the flesh. You know, well, we don't even have any thought many times. What does God want in this situation? What does God want to say today in my finances? You know, I'm not coming here to preach on tithe today, but let me just tell you something. The beginning 
of fulfilling God's will. It's not all of it, but the beginning of fulfilling God's will on your life, in your finances, is it all begins with honoring God what already belongs to Him in the first place. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's not you paying tithes. Because in order to pay something, you have to have earned it. You didn't earn, you know that whole thing, you know, I built it. You don't even know what I'm talking about now. I built this business. Well, certainly the government didn't do it for you, that's for sure. But I'm going to tell you something. You didn't do it either on your own. If God hadn't given you the grace and the wisdom and the ability, the skill, the talent to do it, you wouldn't have done it either. Everything you are and everything you have belongs to him in the first place. So when you touch what is holy, Leviticus 27 says, what is already holy. Why is it holy? All holy means is it means to be separated, set apart. And so he calls the tithe, the first 10% of what you've been given, he calls it holy. Why? He says, because it's set apart. When God blesses you, before you ever get your paycheck, he has already called holy the first 10% of it. And when Christians wrestle with that, disregard that, you know, try to explain the way somehow, make some excuse. Let me tell you, or just don't not do it. Folks listening, what they don't realize, they're, they're cutting off their own supply. God doesn't want the first 10% so you can have less to work with. He wants the first 10% so he can bless your 90% and multiply it and make your 90% far more than your 100% was. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, but you see, to do that, it takes giving God ownership and trusting him fully. Let me just tell you this, and then I'll wrap this up. Actually, I've only gotten to my first two points, and I've got 45. So anyway, so I may give some more in the second service. You never know, but let me just wrap it up in this way. You know, when I was a kid, growing up in the church, I didn't know at the time, but until I was 21 years old, I basically lived in church as a Christian, but had no concept whatsoever of how to live supernaturally. I, was, I, was, I grew up in church, but I was living always in my head, my flesh, and I didn't really think about it that much. And as a result, listen to this, I never ever gave God really true ownership of my life. I always told him that there are things that I would do for him and certain things that I wouldn't do for him. Think about that. God, I'll do this and that, but don't ever ask me to do this. You know, let me tell you, it's the worst thing in the world you can do. Do you realize what that's saying? What it's saying is, God, 
I believe that you won't be as good to me as I would be to myself. It's the mistake that Adam and Eve made. In the garden, the main mistake Adam and Eve made about the fruit was God said, this is the way life is to be lived. If you don't touch that and eat all the rest, you're going to be tremendously blessed. And Satan comes along and says, it's a lie. God's, listen, God's holding out on you. God knows he's holding out on you. And if you, if you take this into your own hands and you provide for your own self, then you're going to provide a better life for yourself than God would provide for you. That was the lie. They didn't trust that God was a good enough God to give them the kind of life that they would enjoy. Are you with me? And so they live this life, like many Christians do, on the fence, where they're constantly like, they kind of, they love God, but they're not really giving Him control of everything. Are you all out there today? And I don't know how many of you have heard my story about how God called me. But if you have heard it before, you need to hear it again. <laughs> and I'll end with this. I only have a handful of moments that radically transform my life. And none is bigger than this one. But you know, it's interesting. I grew up. And I said, I told people as a kid, I would say to people, I said, well, I'll do this. I'll teach a class. I'll sing. I used to sing in church. I'll sing. But I'll never be one of those preachers. I just didn't like preachers. And I think it was because when I was a kid, my parents happened to be like, like they were the main deacons in the church. And all the traveling preachers that came through town, they would stay in our house. And they would sleep in my bed and eat my food. And they would stay up light, late and eat donuts and have a party and put us to bed. And I resented that, and I grew up hating preachers. And I said, I will never be a preacher. You mark my word. Never, never. You understand that? Never be a preacher. I was in college in Houston, Texas. I met my wife, who was from Virginia. And after a while, I fell in love with her. And I'd known she had loved me, too. And so one night, I asked my wife, I said, Donna, I said, I've fallen in love with you, and I want to marry you. And she looked at me and she said, Rick, she said, I love you too, but I can't marry you. I said, what? Why? She says, because you tell everybody and you've told me that you will never be a preacher. I said, that's right. So? She said, well, when I was 14 years old, I got down on my knees and gave my whole heart and life to God. And God said, if I would surrender everything to him when I grow up, he said that God said I was going to meet a man. He was going to be a preacher. And we were going to get married and travel the world together preaching the gospel. She said, I can't marry you. I thought, well, maybe I can change my mind. Let's see here, you know. <laughs> no, sorry to say that's not where my mind was. And so I told my wife, I said, you know, look, we're going to break up. I said, I, I love you, but I'm not going to be a preacher, so we're going to break up. And, you know, we're not going to see each other, talk to each other. But if you change your mind, you come back and let me know. And so anyway, we'd been broken up several months. And after several months, my wife, one day I saw her, she came crawling back on her hands and knees to me like this. I'd love to tell that one. She crawling on her hands and knees. I'd love to tell us when she's not here, crawling on her hands and knees. We got married.
And one year, two years, three years, now we've been married three years. And after three years, she had been praying for me. She wasn't pushing me or pressing me at all, but she'd been praying for me. And the dealings of God became stronger and stronger on my life where I couldn't really stand it. Does anybody here know what it's like to have God mess with you and deal with you so much that you are miserable? I mean, you can't even stand your life. I got to that place. I didn't even know at that time it was the dealings of God. And I got so bad the one day after work, I just came home and I fell across the bed. And I started bawling like a baby and I cried out, God, what's going on with my life? What's going on? I'm miserable. I hate this. What is it that's happening, God? What do you want me to do? And all of a sudden, I never had anything like this before. All of a sudden, God gave me an open vision right in front of my face. All it was was a blank piece of paper. And when I saw this blank piece of paper, I looked at it. It was blank, except at the bottom there was just a place for somebody to sign. And I said, God, what is this? He said, that's my will for the rest of your life. Now sign it. I said, God, if this is a contract we're talking about here, I said, I've signed contracts before. I said, I know that you need to fill it in so I can know the details of what I'm signing. And God said to me, he said, no. He said, you sign it and then I'll fill it in. Did you get that? You sign it, and then I'll fill it in. You sign it, and then I'll fill it. All of a sudden, I got a revelation of the Lordship of Christ. It doesn't mean God says today, okay, will you do this? And you say, yes. Tomorrow, will you do that? No, I won't do that. Next day, will you do this? No. Next day, will you do this? Yeah, I'll do that. Yes, no, yes, no. It's you signing that blank piece of paper, and later when God writes on it, it's too late to say no. When God said, sign it. In this vision, I saw myself with a trembling hand pick up my pen, the pen, and I start signing the bottom of this blank piece of paper. The will of God for the rest of my life. And when I finished signing, I put the pen down. And as, I, as soon as I put the pen down, I heard God say, Now go preach the gospel. Now go preach the gospel. I thought I knew that's what you were going to say. That's why I didn't want to sign it. But it was too late. It was over. And you know what? Here I look all these years later. We're now down the road. Many years. 40 something. <laughs> years later. And I look at this beautiful, wonderful life Don and I have had. The things we've gotten to do. Helping so many people. It's been an incredible ride for these 40-something years. Incredi incredible. And I look back on the life that I was protecting. When God called, he had all this for me. And you know the life I was protecting? I was a Twinkie salesman. <laughs> Think of that. Worldwide preacher. Twinkie salesman. I got up every morning. I put on my Twinkie suit. It had a big Twinkie on the pocket. I put on my Twinkie hat. 
it had a bigger Twinkie on the hat. I got in my Twinkie truck and drove my Twinkies to the store. Oh, and not just Twinkies. Susie Q's, Ding Dongs, and Ho-Ho's. What a life. And that's what I was fighting so hard to protect. You know what the problem is, is when we're on this side of signing that blank piece of paper, we think we're so smart about knowing what's best for our life. And we don't realize that behind that curtain of signing that blank piece of paper and giving God full ownership, is this world, this unknown world of beauty that we can never imagine that waits before us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give him praise in this place. Come on, give the Lord praise. We love you, Jesus.